0: and welcome back to the space between one of the top astronomy podcasts in the world and for that matter the universe from wherever you're listening from whether that be belgium argentina south africa or poland we love you poland uh we've got all the quality space content coming your way my name is colby van camp here with dawson wagner and we need to celebrate my friends We need to celebrate. We have broken the 1,500 all-time streams mark. We are currently sitting at 1,543 streams for the podcast as a whole and have 84 followers on Spotify, which is cool. Trying to get to 2,000 streams and 100 followers. So if we can get your assistance with that, that would be fantastic. Um, But before you know it, we're going to be talking about 2,000 streams, 5,000 streams, 10,000 streams. The list goes on and on. So... Pretty cool, pretty exciting, and we're very appreciative to you, the listener, for tuning in. Folks, I just have to come right out and say it. It's been a big week for the podcast. Dawson and I have been grinding, reaching out to folks around the world and have started to make some headway on some really cool guests. I don't want to give too much away yet, but we are on the verge of really making a breakthrough in terms of the interview content that we are trying to bring to you. And honestly, that's all because of you. If you weren't listening, we wouldn't be able to land some of these interviews and get our feet in the doors of some of the scientists that we are talking to right now. So thank you to you for being one of the best fan bases in the world. And the universe. Uh, I, I, I just love that tagline because it's like we make the assumption that we're the only ones in the universe.
1: I like to think that aliens are listening to us out there in the universe. Really, I think that'd be
0: cool. Okay. Well, for all of the uh, extraterrestrials zooming around in your UAPs, uh, thank you for listening in. Yeah. Make sure to listen to us on Apple.
1: <laughs> whatever streaming platform you have
0: yeah well so <laughs> that completely derailed my <laughs> my line of thinking um <laughs> if you weren't listening we wouldn't be able to land some of these interviews and get our feet in the door of some of the scientists that we're talking to so we really appreciate that i can confirm in the next few weeks though we will be recording with Betty Maya Foot who is a professional astrophotographer and a dark sky advocate hmm. Betty Maya's work has been featured in National Geographic and the Los Angeles Times, and she is also representative of Dark Sky International, which is an organization that looks to reduce light pollution and preserve night skies across the world. Uh, We can't wait to chat with her about her work and her passion for reducing global light pollution so that the beauty of the night sky is safely accessible for everyone. Uh, I'm super excited for that. Me too. That's going to be really cool. Um, we also want to come up with a name for the fan base. This is a little bit on the on the weird side of things, but I got this idea from uh, New Heights. If you're a sports person and you enjoy listening to Travis and Jason Kelsey on their podcast, I think they call their – I haven't listened in a second, but I think they call their fan base the 92 percenters. Um, <laughs> and the joke is like – The Eagles converted 92% of their uh, quarterback sneaks for a first down or something like that last year. Something stupid. So I think they're called the (laughs) 92%ers. And we want to come up with a name for the fan base. Uh, If you're listening on Spotify, there's an interactive feature connected to this episode. All you have to do is scroll down where we want to hear from you. Type in what you want the fan base to be named so that we can connect with you on an even deeper level. If you don't have Spotify, but you still want to be in on the action, no sweat. Just hit us up at our brand new and improved fully functional website www.spacebetweenpodcast.com that's www.spacebetweenpodcast.com we got the uh the dot weebly out of there uh we we decided to cancel our minecraft server (laughs) so that we could could, uh have a a website so um luckily i saved the world there's a world that i have saved because there was some cool stuff going on in that server go back but we also weren't playing on it so it's it's all good (laughs) Um, before we get things rolling if you haven't heard our latest episode with K-State Professor of Physics, Dr. Lado Samushia, you're missing out. We break down his expertise in dark matter and dark energy, and I personally think it was one of our better episodes mm-hmm. to date. So definitely give that a listen after this episode, of course. We also need to hit you with our weekly rankings updates. Uh, as of today, we are currently number 183 in Argentina in science, number 111 in Australia in astronomy, number 83 in the U.S. in astronomy, number 54 in Belgium in astronomy, number 15 in Poland in astronomy... Poland, Poland, we, we, we've, we've taken a hit Poland. We, 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 we love you, Poland, but we need a little bit. Those are, those are rookie numbers. We need to boost. We need to boost those numbers, rookie (laughs) numbers. Uh, (laughs) and number 11 in Argentina in astronomy. Um, Yeah, it's pretty cool. We've also been streamed in 64 different countries, which yet again is one more than last week. So thank you for that. And then two really cool updates for you. Spotify for podcasters has created a new metric for impressions. So that's how many times the space between pops up in front of a human on Spotify. And over the last 30 days, we've had an astounding 18,828 impressions. Uh, can you just imagine if 10% of those folks tuned in? We'd be flying <laughs> off the charts. I mean, we would be soaring into the cosmos <laughs> with those kind of numbers. Um, and we're, we're, we're super close. Guys, I hope you know how, how close we are to getting into that stratosphere. Um, and I hope that you'll give us a listen and share it with your family and friends. We've also seen a spike recently in our listenership in the 23 to 27-year-old range, which now leads all of our listeners over the last 30 days at 27.5%. So thank you for that. Also, keep rocking those Apple Podcast numbers. Do us a favor if you're on an iPhone, an iPad, a Mac. If you're listening to this podcast on any Apple product, just do us a huge favor and stop where you are right now and just jump over to Apple podcast and resume there. And that'll help us out big time. We also want to give uh, a huge shout out in terms of news that we have created a Patreon page for two US dollars a month. You can join our private Discord page and connect with myself and Dawson individually. We want to build the space between community by having you join our quantum computer which is what we're calling our Discord server. Similarly, for $5 a month, you get to join the Discord as well as experience exclusive podcasting content among other things and you, you can continue to connect with Dawson and myself. If you want to have a say in some of the content that we make, that's the way for you to do it. So just go and find us at www.spacebetweenpodcast.com. That's www.spacebetweenpodcast.com. Before we jump into today's episode, I want to share a word with you from our affiliates, High Point Scientific. We're starting to exit galaxy season, Uh, RIP. There's been some really cool stuff that's been happening in galaxy season. But that means one of our biggest friends in the night sky, the Orion Constellation, is starting to hit the skies here in the Northern Hemisphere yet again. And that means that I'm personally going to be out investing a range of new gear with all of the money that I'm making from this podcast. Not really, but we're getting there. Um, (laughs) But I, I am hoping to get some new and more intense photos of the Orion Nebula, the Horsehead Nebula, and the Greater Barnard's Loop, which is in the Orion constellation. Um, And I'm going to be frequenting High Point Scientific to do that. And I suggest that you guys do too for all of your astronomical needs. Visiting the link in the description of this and every one of our episodes for your purchases will provide us with a small commission, which not only helps keep Dawson and I making technical improvements for the show, it helps us make technical improvements to our astrophotography as well. So we appreciate you guys Mm -hmm. using High Point Scientific for all of your scientific needs. So Dawson... It was a big day yesterday for us because we got to sit down and that's the cool thing about still being affiliated with the university as individuals. This podcast isn't affiliated with the university, but as individuals, Mm. because we're on campus all the time and we're graduate students, we get to go to different events that maybe the general public wouldn't know about. Even though it was open to the general public, which seems to me like a a failure to communicate. Um, But (laughs) uh, (laughs) uh, but, uh, it was still really cool. It was actually pretty well attended as well. Mm -hmm. The Nobel laureate for Physics, Dr. John Mather, who is one of the chief operators of the James Webb Space Telescope, mm-hmm. was in town yesterday on the campus of Kansas State University giving a lecture about JWST and all the work that they're doing there. Super cool. I mean, just, Dawson, your your quick initial impressions of that?
1: Uh, I, I feel like the things that he dove into with, like, the images and, and the kind of a little bit of the technology of the James Webb Space Telescope, but but not too much of it to where it's like overwhelming and complicated was just the right kind of kick in the 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 right what am i trying to say kick in the rear to get me going towards some astronomy again cuz <laughs> honestly like i was kind of lacking in my interest of some of the telescopes and things up uh you know in the solar system and now i'm back on that and i'm diving down the rabbit hole again of trying to figure out how how it works, where it's at, you know, what is it doing, and just trying to understand what's up there. And he he brought that inspiration back to me from his speech. Honestly,
0: it was it was really profound, and just mm-hmm. the way that he was breaking down things in terms of what kind of deep sky objects that JWST is looking at, mm-hmm. and how far away they are. It's like looking back in time. Telescopes are one of the true time machines, in the fact that the farther you can look at something. So the farther away something is, the younger it will look to us because it's taken so long for the light of that object to reach us. Right. So if something is six billion years away, light years away. Light years. Then let's say, so six billion light years, it means that light takes one year to travel that distance. So it's been taking six billion years for that light to reach us. And so when that light reaches us, we see what was happening 6 billion years ago. Not what's happening right now. Mm -hmm. We see what was happening 6 billion years ago. So the farther we can look back in time, so to speak, by the way that physics works and the way that light works, and the just huge, and I guess that's why you can say an astronomical distance, because it's so massive, Mm -hmm. that's where we get some of this really profound data that we've been starting to collect as a scientific community and JWST has been, has been collecting that information, um, which is just really cool, super cool. And it was really fascinating to have Dr. Mather on campus to break that down for us. Now yeah. he also talked about a very interesting project that they've been working on, actually wrote an article about this for a local, um, a radio station. So if you would like to read that, you can on our blog section of the Space Between uh, on our website, www.spacebetweenpodcast.com. If you just click sources, every time that we reference a written source in our show, we want to provide that for you because hashtag science. And if you would <laughs> like to, if you'd like to see, yeah, hashtag <laughs> communication <laughs> science, hashtag natural science. Um, and that's just being a good scientist in general is citing your work. Um, and we do an excellent job of verbally citing our work, but I would like to provide written places for you to go and check that out as well and they talked about a project for uh jwst that they've been using to observe asteroids and it's called um double asteroid redirection test where essentially scientists launch something at an asteroid that's passing by in front of james webb space telescope to try and deflect it so then as it bounces away they can study it using the telescope Um, And that was a really fascinating thing to hear about. The DART mission? Yeah, the DART DART mission. Yeah, DART. Yeah,
1: yeah, double asteroid redirection test uh, was the first ever mission dedicated to investigating and demonstrating one method of asteroid deflection. Okay, so I remember him talking about this. And I I remember when this happened, too, when NASA was live streaming it, and they were showing the camera that was on board this, um, uh, what was it? I guess, yeah, for the DART mission, and I don't know the type of camera that they had, but it was being able to send a live stream back to NASA as it smashed into the rock, and then just, we knew it worked when the stream cut and became dead, and so that was a weird experience, kind of seeing that happen live, and like seeing the videos spread around social media of, wow, we just destroyed an aircraft to move a or we destroyed a satellite to move another satellite, technically. Yeah. Which is kind of cool. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. It was our man made satellite going to hit another quote unquote satellite or object in space so that they don't hit the earth. Right. And, and he emphasized, which I thought was very fascinating, because I guess I just don't think about it. Because you don't really see them. Uh, maybe it, you see like a meteor shower or something. And that's how you're reminded of that. But there are so much junk floating around in space that happens to miss us because of gravity of planets like Jupiter Uh and because of the gravity of the sun and the way that that works, we're kind of shielded. But anything that does come close, you have to take that as a credible threat. Um, Do you remember when, like, Oumuamua came by uh, a couple of years ago and people were like, "Uh, it's speeding up as it's going away when it should be slowing, slowing down. That's kind of sketchy. And some people, some people are like, it. because aliens. And other people are like, well, no, that's not necessarily how that works. It's um, a different discussion for a different time. But there was the discussion of, what if that hit us? That would be like an extinction level event.
1: You think about how big, well, we don't know how big the asteroid was that killed the dinosaurs, but it could be. I mean, anything over the size of a nickel, if it is able to maintain its impact, it's going to be a larger, just at the speed that it's traveling, it's going to be a larger impact than what we even could have probably fathom right With, well yeah, force equals
0: mass times acceleration so <laughs> right. so physics hashtag physics, math. Hashtag hashtag physics. That's awesome. <laughs> it's like the only physics equation i know out of e equals MC yeah, squared, squared you said that. Uh, it's that my great. dad used to say that when i did <laughs> shot put in high school uh, he would say uh, the the force of how you throw the shot put equals your mass times how quickly you get across the ring so <laughs> the farther you throw the shot put is directly related to physics i was like you know <laughs> makes sense <laughs> makes sense <laughs> That's awesome. Um, So at any rate, it was a really fascinating discussion. um, And I hope to have more content for you guys related to James Webb Space Telescope. We're going to talk some more about it here in a second. But also Dr. Mather and just the really cool stuff that he was talking about. I had to leave in the middle of his presentation. I felt guilty, but I had a class. Dawson, you were able to speak to him for a moment. Was that cool?
1: Yeah, that was honestly, uh, I was trying not to geek out too much when I (laughs) I walked up to him. I was just like, wow. Wow. You're well. Actually, I was saying it wrong for a while. I I didn't want to be like Nobel laureate because I was like, I'm saying this wrong. I bet I'm saying this wrong. And then you've corrected me today. You're like, (laughs) no, laureate. I see. I can't remember laureate. A Nobel laureate. Nobel laureate. And I was just like, part of me wanted to. Like, ask him all these questions and, like, try to understand his mind and how he does all the things he does with the James Webb Space Telescope. But then the other part was like, okay, no, I'd like to see if he can maybe come on the podcast. And then he was like, oh, I've done other podcasts. I was like, oh, awesome! Like you, you know how to communicate. Okay, like so. John, John Mather to
0: the space between is that is John that, Mather to the space? Is that, between that what I'm hearing? What I'm,
1: Maybe I am projecting into existence. Maybe I think from from my discussion with him, he sounded excited about it and was was very kind. And he took a photo with me. So, oh, that's cool. Yeah. You didn't send me that. I got a little photo. Well, I, was un- I didn't know how much I wanted to brag because I was just that's like, okay. oh, you, mi- you well, we'll missed put it out on the, on website. the but yeah, we'll, we'll put it on the I'm website. I'm Colby right now. He was wearing a tie that was like uh, the Pillars of Creation, I think. Oh, on that's it cool. or something. I knew he
0: was wearing a space tie. I could see it from a distance, but I didn't know what it was. That's really cool. So awesome. I'm going to have to start making ties out of my astrophotography <laughs> and just like <laughs> wear, wear the Milky Way around. Yeah, that'd be cool.
1: <laughs> I took that'd that picture, cool. you know. Such a photo I'm showing off. I mean,
0: always. that's like breaking your arm, clapping yourself on the back there, <laughs> wearing your images as clothes, oh, <laughs> accessories good. to your clothing. Well, maybe, maybe we'll get the Nobel laureate in physics and one of the chief operators of the JWST on the show. Maybe we'll have to find out. You'll have to just operate in the space between, and come back and let us know if you would like to hear. From Dr. John Mather because I think that would be pretty cool. So speaking of JWST, this is slightly old news and I, I say that as a journalist, but it's also like really important. And I think that we briefly mentioned this once in a, in a separate conversation, but in terms of telescopes, and there's some really cool stuff happening with telescopes these days that people are trying to use from earth, but then also telescopes with the way that people are building out in space um, there's new research that puts the age of the universe at 26.7 billion years, nearly twice as old as previously believed. Yeah. This comes um, through an article by uh, Bernard Rizg, uh at the University of Ottawa. Uh, Rizk, Rizk? Uh Sorry, Bernard. Uh, your, your, your last name <laughs> is g- giving me a little bit of trouble there. Um, our universe could be twice as old as current estimates, according to a new study that challenges the dominant cosmological model and sheds new light on the so-called impossible early galaxy problem, suggest. The work is published in the journal Monthly Notices of the Royal Astronomical Society. Quote, our newly devised model stretches the galaxy formation time by several billion years, making the universe 26.7 billion years old and not 13.7 as previously estimated, says author... um, Rajendra Gupta, adjunct professor of physics in the Faculty of Science at the University of Ottawa. For years, astronomers and physicists have calculated the age of our universe by measuring the time elapsed since the Big Bang and by studying the oldest stars based on the red shift of light coming from distant galaxies. In 2021, thanks to new techniques and advances in technology, the age of our universe with was thus estimated at 13.797 billion years old using the Lambda-CDM concordance model. However, many scientists have been puzzled by the existence of stars like the Methuselah that appeared to be older than the estimated age of our universe and by discovery of early galaxies in an advanced state of evolution made possible at the James Webb Space Telescope. These galaxies exist a mere 300 million years or so after the Big Bang and appear to have a level of maturity and mass typically associated with billions of years of cosmic evolution. Furthermore, they're surprisingly small in size, adding another layer of mystery to the equation. And so that's what that's what we're saying by... by the, hmm. the, the telescope acts as a time machine right. because now that it's allowed to take in so much light that it is, and it's using infrared... Um, spectra spectroscopy spectroscopy yeah and it's using infrared spectroscopy to be Mm -hmm. able to view some of these really distant galaxies Mm -hmm. you're seeing this galaxy as it looks as 300 million years old but it's not 300 million (laughs) years old and you see, that's where it starts getting weird. That's right. that's where that's where people, that's where people start getting, getting lost. freaky. Um, that's where I was getting lost for yeah. some time um, until I watched my good friend, uh, Professor David Kipping over at the Cool Worlds Lab. You can check him out on YouTube and the work that he does. And he broke it down in a video about why telescopes are kind of like time machines because of how you can see things that look really young to us because they're so far away that the light, light is just The light
1: of what they look like today hasn't got to us yeah. we're seeing their light as it, it will was. Take,
0: so if if a galaxy is six billion years old to see what it actually looks like right now we need to wait another six billion years <laughs> You see what I'm saying? Well, so, yeah, like, yeah. like none of us will be here. The 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 Milky Way might not might not even be here. Milky Way um, might be compi- whatever Milky Andromeda. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, the, the Andromeda <laughs> galaxy is Andromeda. actually coming towards us. <laughs> like, like, isn't that crazy? In in like six and a half billion years, the Milky Way and the Andromeda galaxy will merge, and they will create a super huge galaxy. Some people call the Milkdromeda. <laughs> I think you're the only
1: one who calls it I'm that. I'm pretty sure people call the it the Milk, Milk Dramada
0: Galaxy. Milk Dramada. Yeah. It's, it's going to go up there with um plutonian wagnerian loose. physics.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's a loose thing. I don't think it's actually We need to start making it's cool like idea. Idea.
0: <laughs> it's an an cool anthology idea. of terms that you've created <laughs> for this specific podcast. Yeah. The I'll, Milk
1: Dramada. Oh, work through. Yeah. Milk Dramada. I mean, I've read it before. Other people have thought
0: about it, but I think it's I, out there. I watched a video about it. We've put it in the story of the Space Between. But if you want to go check us out on Instagram, you can at Space Between Pod. Um, just go check it out there. Mm-hmm. We were going to put it in our story, um, and I might see if the. Yeah. Content creator that made the video would give us a version of it and then we can credit them and then we can actually like post it on our website because I really want you guys to see this. Because I think it said like seven and a half, eight billion years from now, the Milky Way and the Andromeda Galaxy will have merged with each other. Mm. But because of the way that gravity works when these two supermassive galaxies merge with each other,
1: do a dance. Yeah.
0: If there, let's say there's humans, let's say there are humans eight billion years from now on the earth there all you will see is just a bright speck in the in the night sky which is the center of the galaxy hmm. and then everything else will be gone because all of the stars will have been moved out of the area see
1: what i wonder is how long it would take for us to like settle back down cuz wouldn't eventually like the black holes merge that they both have in the center of the gal- like their right galaxies? and so that's, that,
0: that's why i think it's saying that in you know or eight billion be, years, I think it accounts for that.
1: We'd be just thrown into chaos. So I mean, I don't know if no. we'd be
0: completely thrown into chaos because we're subject to our sun's gravity. Mm-hmm. Um, in in,
1: in would eight our billion years, still maintain its pattern. Well, the, in eight billion years,
0: the Earth, I don't, I if I'm remembering correctly, oh, wait, I don't think the Earth we'll will actually burnt. even oh, be here actually, because yeah, our sun speaking. will have turned into a red giant. Yeah. But Let's say the Earth is here in eight billion years. <laughs> <laughs> and we're and we're gonna jump ahead in time and you and I, Dawson, are just gonna chill on yeah. the earth in eight billion years. Can we prevent the sun from yes, yeah, swelling. Yeah, and a the red sun giant. hasn't swallowed yeah, us yeah. and all this other stuff happens, and everything we're able to exist still here. normally as if we didn't move, even though we totally did move. <laughs> the crazy thing of all, and this is what makes me really sad, if there are humans that live in our solar system eight billion years from now. Yeah. All of the stars that we are accustomed to seeing for the last five million, five million human years, existence. human existence. You yeah. know, I said five million, I meant <laughs> 5,000 years because I recorded human history, but 5,000 years, history. but yeah. 5 million, geez, I've, I'm starting to get into big numbers and it's starting to kill my brain. But in like 5,000 years, I think Lotto uh, last week commented on this and he said, you know, when I talked about seeing the Orion constellation, I was like, Oh, hello, old friend. He was like, every human that has ever lived and ever will live. will see that constellation. Oh man, 8 billion years from now, Orion won't be there anymore. The stars won't be there. Oof. All of the nebulae will have been moved oh, man. and it'll just be gone. Why? That's so
1: depressing. Yeah. Why is that so sad?
0: That's so sad. Like I, I when I, when why? I, when I found that and I read that and I watched the video and it was like in 8 billion years, there will be nothing around us. Oh. I, I was like, "It's a tough Jeez. Like, F in the chat. It gives it me just, a lump in my throat. You I know, know dude. Like, it was uh, like, whoa! It put the it put the the whole finite way that we exist as creatures into perspective. As if it lucky. as if as if I didn't already feel that way. How as we talk we about are that, to be
1: able to see the things that we get to see.
0: Honestly, it's it's so true. That, like, it's so true
1: that like stay there. But it, it, and, but they and have go, always go away. been there but yeah. will go away someday they, they go away at some points like throughout our seasons and our years but then they return and then they come back it, just from our perspective from where we live on the earth but it, they're they're always there and, and they're not always going to be there but from our perspective at least for our short lives of 100 some years we get to see them and we get to experience them and we get to talk about them and that is the coolest thing ever, you know? Well, and there will be
0: a bright speck in the night sky that dominates the darkness. That is the merging of Sagittarius a, which is the black hole at the center of our universe and the black hole at the center of the uh, Andromeda galaxy. I also just said the center of our universe, which is both incorrect <laughs> on like so many levels, and I got dunked on by Lotto last week for it, and rightfully so. The center of our galaxy, folks. The center of our galaxy. The center of the universe there's is no point uh, the se- there's there is, no, is point. no there is no, center, no center of the center. universe. <laughs> <No>. um, metaphorically, <laughs> in a, in, a, in a hyperbolic way, I might say to somebody, you know, you're being selfish. You're not the center of the universe. Ha 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 ha. Everybody knows what I'm saying. But um, uh, somebody who's actually intelligent will be like, well, joke's on you. The universe doesn't have a center. So how about that? How can I be the center of the universe when there isn't the center of the universe? So if you're listening and you're feeling salty with people who claim that you are the center of the universe or you're acting like it, you can kindly remind them that on the space between, you were educated that the the center of the universe is in fact esoteric and does not exist. exist. So how about that? (laughs)
1: but there is a supermassive black hole at the middle of the Andromeda galaxy called Quiescent, Q-U-I-E-S-C-E-N-T. Just looked it up. Cool. Yeah, I know. I knew it was called something, but I wasn't sure. Quiescent, and it's also known as M31. Messier 31, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so that, that, I guess that makes sense. But pretty cool. Those two black holes, ours and Sagittarius A, will once combine in the
0: future. And eight day. billion years from now, they will just be a bright speck that dominates the night sky.
1: To be able to observe that and to be a part of that and, like, be in that dance of, of chaos, of gravity. Oh, there was an I, amazing.
0: one of the first episodes that I ever watched of... Um, Doctor Who, my wife's a huge Doctor Who person. And th- it was okay. Like I, I I'm I'm not by any way a uh, what are they called? Whovian. Uh, I am by no way a uh Whovian. I'm not a Trekkie. I'm probably a Star Wars person uh, beyond anything else. But there was an episode where the doctor, I call him Professor what to irritate my wife. She's like, "You want to watch some Doctor Who?" I'm like, "I'll watch Professor what." But Go figure. <laughs> uh, it's just For me a being a, a pinhead. It's all good. Um, yeah, living at the center of the universe. Um, and uh, there's one of the first episodes that I watched with my wife because she said, we're not going to start at the beginning because all those really old episodes suck. We're going to start at this episode, which is pretty good. I said, okay, fine. You're you're the Hoovian. I'll let you do what you want. Um, and I think it was like the second or third episode where they actually watch. They go ahead 8 billion years in the future and they watch the earth get swallowed as the sun turns into a red giant. Mm. And it was very eerie. It was really weird to like watch that.
1: Where'd they watch it from?
0: They like just flew away and you know, the the TARDIS uh, allows you to just like <laughs> stick your legs out and open up the door and you can just like watch. Oh, um, wow. It's weird. That's, that's why it was like slightly comedic to me because there was no you know it wasn't like interstellar where there's like a weeping matthew mcconaughey in the corner as like the the earth gets uh eaten by the sun as it expands into a red giant uh instead there is a blue police box uh floating in the void with two people sitting out the front door with their legs hanging off the bottom of it um and then you watch the earth get eaten and that was weird. weird and it was kind of profound not going to lie it's like
1: when you watch rick and morty and something yeah. happens and you're like What? Yeah. Is that real? No, they're faking that. Yeah, it's kind of, (laughs) it's got that mixture of like, there's some science with it, but then also some fictional like aspects. Yeah. Yeah,
0: it's beautiful. Well, James Webb Space Telescope allows you to see things that you haven't ever previously seen before. And that's why I love my astrophotography that I do. And that's why it was so cool in the astrophotography community. And I know that I talked about this in a separate episode, but if you haven't heard all of our episodes before, if this is the first one you're tuning into, I'll just reference it again. There was an event that happened over the summer where one of the major galaxies, because the summer is known as galaxy season in the northern hemisphere, because that's when all of the really interesting galaxies in the core of the Milky Way are available in the general night sky for you to see. They become less prevalent. Uh, Andromeda becomes more prevalent, but then the rest of all these separate galaxies become less prevalent um, if you're a deep sky astrophotographer um, in the autumn and the winter, and then into the mid, early mid-spring, and then the rest of the time until you get back into October, mid-October, then uh, they stay out. And astrophotographers were the first ones, amateur astrophotographers were the first ones to discover that there had been a huge supernova that had occurred in the arm of one of these really well-known spiral galaxies. I think it was the Whirlpool Galaxy. Mm. Um, And they had compared their data from different days because usually astrophotographers really good astrophotography requires that you get 15 20 25 sometimes 30 hours mm. of data so you're taking 30 hours worth of pictures and they're, you're stacking them on top of each other to get a really high definition quality photo right. um terabytes of data <laughs> terabytes of data um and they were able to compare and look over multiple days and say oh my gosh there it is. There's a little speck. Gets a little bit brighter. Huge orb of brightness. Little speck. A little bit brighter. And then it's gone. Mm-hmm. And that was over a week. Cool. Here's the craziest part of all. And this is why it's like a time machine. That happened 22 million years ago. Because that that event just got to us. Right. We just saw it. Right. But the galaxy is 22 million light years away.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So we're seeing it, and in real time, we're saying, whoa, that just went supernova. That was really cool. Psych, we're really late to the party. Yeah. We're 22 million years late to the party. But we just happen to see it because that's the way that physics works.
1: And to think the the planets are peop- things that are farther than us that haven't got the light yet, you know? Right,
0: So, so <laughs> anything beyond us that's farther from us, let's say there's something that's... 300 million light years away. Mm-hmm. Um they're not going to see it for another what would be 288 million years or 278 million years from now. Mm.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think isn't that crazy? I, yeah. I, at some points numbers just become so
0: It's also a Wednesday. Mo- so It's
1: also a Wednesday. We're halfway through the week. Yeah. That's all right. Yeah. Sometimes numbers don't compute in my head.
0: Well, coming up next, we're going to be talking a little bit more about telescopes and some space nudes. The giant Magellan telescope project casts its seventh and final mirror, uh, which is pretty cool. And then there's some other stuff coming up here in news for you on the space between.
2: Hi, My name is Ryan Gilbert. I'm a former sports broadcaster for Wildcat 91.9, K-State alum, and basketball recruiting editor for GoPowerCat.com. The last academic year was a historic one for the station as Wildcat 91.9 was named the best college radio station in the nation by the Intercollegiate Broadcasting System Awards, the first national championship in program history. However, despite all the awards and success, the budget for Wildcat 91.9 continues to be cut year by year. I'll be perfectly frank with you. Either Wildcat 91.9 finds new funding through charitable giving, or it will permanently go off the air. That's why I'm asking you today to consider making a tax-deductible contribution to the station so that the longest continuously running college FM radio station in the nation can continue to train the next generation of media stars. To make a contribution or discuss options for creating an endowment fund, please reach out to us at www.wildcat919.com donate. That's www.wildcat919.com donate. Thanks so much, go cats, and always remember that at Wildcat 919, You belong.
0: Welcome back to the space between Colby van camp and Dawson Wagner here with you today as we're breaking down some science news. If you haven't listened to our previous episodes with astronomical cosmological and astrophysical experts you should definitely check that out. Our most recent episode with Dr. Lado Samushia, a professor of physics here at Kansas State University. Super cool. He talked about dark energy and dark matter and just kind of all of the things uh, related to that field that we could think of to discuss in an hour. We tried to jam as much content into an hour. So I much. thought we were super successful with it. Um, mm-hmm. So if you haven't listened to that episode, definitely go give that a shot because it was uh, far and away one of the best ones that we have engaged with so far. So we're going to be talking about the Giant Magellan Telescope Project because it casted its seventh and final mirror. And what it's saying by casted is that it it laid the cast for its final mirror. Um, This was reported by Rahul Rao, and it was published eight days ago on Space.com. Last week, in a spinning tank beneath the University of Arizona's football stadium, an oven kicked to life. The oven at the University of Arizona's Richard F. Karras Mirror Lab began to heat a 20-ton 27.6 27.6 foot wide which is 8.4 meters for all of our friends in europe uh, or literally anywhere except america um <laughs> if you can to heat a 20 ton 27.6 or 8.4 meter foot wide pool of optical glass to 2130 degrees fahrenheit or 1165 degrees celsius in the first steps of manufacturing a telescope mirror The oven's present pastry is the seventh and final mirror of the giant Magellan telescope, which itself is under construction in the mountains of northern Chile. The telescope's crown jewel will be a seven-segment mirror. When all of the pieces are in place, they will work together as a single light-collecting surface 80 feet, which is 25.4 meters across. Each of those mirrors must be of the highest quality, and that takes time. This last mirror will take four months to cool Just to cool. It will take four months. After that, technicians will begin grinding and polishing its surface to an astronomically precise finish, perfect to within one one one-thousandth the width of a human hair. (laughs) The entire process from baking to completion will take four years. Afterward, the mirror segment will journey down to Chile by boat to join its six counterparts. One of those six is currently serving as a guinea pig to test a prototype of the telescope's eventual support structure. Astronomers expect to open the giant Magellan telescope's super sharp eye on the universe by the end of this decade. The combination of light gathering power efficiency and image resolution will enable us to make new discoveries across all fields of astronomy, Rebecca Bernstein, the telescope's chief scientist, said in a statement. We will have a unique combination of capabilities for studying planets at high spatial and spectral resolution, both of which are key to determining if a planet has a rocky composition like our Earth, if it contains liquid water, and if its atmosphere contains the right combination of molecules to indicate the presence of life. Really cool. That That's is incredible. a really cool telescope to be talking about because they're they're going to lie it flat um, and they're going to create a panel of all these telescopes. The James Webb Space Telescope is made out of panels. And it's considered a massive telescope. I think it cost $10 billion to make this telescope. Mm -hmm. And then it cost even more money to get it into space because of how huge the mirror panels are. (laughs) Because it's well, the, the mirror panels are just huge. And the more that you break them up in terms of how many smaller panels there are, the less effective the mirror becomes. They need to be one continuous panel, well, which is they why they're so big.
1: Fold it up somehow, like figure out in the design, okay, we're going to have it folded up and put it on the nose of a rocket, and we're going <laughs> to ship it up into space, and then it's going to have to not only execute... It's unfolding and laying out to prepare to be like view all these celestial objects. But at the same time, it's going to be m- m- over a million miles away from us when it does this. And if something messes up with it unfolding, we're not going to be able to fix it like the Hubble. No, no. If it was out of focus like the Hubble was and they went up and fixed the Hubble. It's a thankfully, Ten billion
0: dollar error. Yeah. Gone. And thankfully, that's not what happened. But, so, oh. and and I and I just want to read this. This is from uh, the actual JWST website uh, in affiliation with NASA, um, and the JWST telescope is used to look at galaxies that are thirteen billion light years away from us, and to see such far off objects, Webb needs a large mirror. Webb's telescope scientists and engineers determined that a primary mirror 6.5 meters, which is 21 feet 4 inches across, is what was needed to measure the light from these distant galaxies. Building a mirror this large was challenging, even for use on the ground, because a mirror this large had never before been launched into space. So what they did is they broke it down into a collection of panels, because if the Hubble Space Telescope's 2.4 meter mirror were scaled to be large enough for Webb, It would be too heavy to launch into orbit. Um, The Webb team had to find new ways to build the mirror so that it would be light enough, only one-tenth of the mass of Hubble's mirror per unit area, and yet very strong. The Webb telescope team decided to use mirror segments from beryllium, which is both strong and light, and each segment weighs approximately 20 kilograms, which is 46 pounds. So it comes in with um, 18 hexagonal-shaped mirror segments at 1.32 meters, which is 4.3 feet in diameter, flat to flat so Webb's secondary meter is 0.74 uh meters in diameter Mm. then just just as a reference so the the jwst mirror when you put it all together when you assemble all of the little hexagonal segments together all 18 of them Mm -hmm. it comes out to 6.5 meters which is 21 feet 4 inches
1: and then the, the sunshade that protects it is like the size of a tennis court, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. From what I remember reading when it was released is this sunshade was going to have to, you know, help protect the, the mirror yeah. from, you know, taking damage from the, the sun. So, right, yeah, tennis size of a tennis court. That's a huge sunshade.
0: So 25 and a half feet, 26 and a half feet, the giant Magellan Telescope... And, that's, and that can see things 13 billion years. Magellan? No, no, no. no? Web oh. can see things 13 billion light years away from us mm-hmm. at 26 and a half feet, whatever I just read. The Magellan, the giant Magellan telescope is 25.4 meters across. It's 80 feet. It's 80? 80 feet. It's over four times the size of web huge it is a monstrosity wow can you can you imagine that i 80 feet it is massive and
1: to think the amount of people that are collaborating on this to make it happen like that's incredible i i honestly don't know like what they're going to discover with this but at the same time it just it gives me this wonder and curiosity of of are we going to answer some of the things that we have not been able to answer because of this? Probably. That's where my mind goes. I hope so. I mean, that's that's uh, with the James Webb, like that's what we are trying to do with the things that we've been able to image so far, and like observe exoplanets and stuff. And like, there's so many things that we're going to be able to observe with this telescope that, you know, I can't wait till it's the end of the decade.
0: There are things <laughs> that you have to combat, like light pollution. Mm. like the atmosphere. There are a lot of external factors that you can't control, which is why it's being built in the middle of nowhere in Chile. So you can reduce the light pollution down to zero or as close to zero as possible. Um, why it's in the Ch- Chile? Yeah, that's why. That's why location. it's out there. That's why it's out there is because, uh, huh. um, like, the mountains of Chile are a continuous, mortal one. You know, they're they're really dim, but so like, they're they're great for telescopes.
1: But like, getting all of these parts to
0: Chile. Can you imagine then, if you damaged one? Oh,
1: if I was part of the team transporting no. and like man you we talk about communication and how it's important but like you're if you're communicating about like when you need to have this delivered by what you're delivering like how you need to take specific roads so that you don't damage the stuff inside and you mess up any of that yeah <laughs> oh man
0: it's over it's i mean stressful i mean it's over <laughs> it's, and it's stress- very uh, stressful. all i
1: hope is that they can get this piece together you know peacefully and not have any chaos along the way i hope
0: i hope that as well
1: what do you think is harder shipping it in like you know on planes or like driving it by truck or, they said they're going to put it in a boat or oh oh put it in a boat okay or is it harder to send something up in a rocket and put it into you know lagrange point and have it unfold which yeah. one's harder
0: uh i a- i think probably the on earth one you think is likely for uh, if we're if we're looking at the giant Magellan telescope versus Webb, just because of how much bigger it is in comparison to Webb, I mean 20, what did I say? 25, 26 and a half feet. Twenty um,
1: each of the twenty-seven foot wide primary. It's mirrors. it's oh
0: so I I was wrong. It's six point five meters, which is twenty-one feet four inches across. Twenty-one okay. Point four or 21, not point 0.4, 21 feet, four inches across versus approximately 80 feet. Um, yikes. That's, I mean, it, it's just, and it's the, 25 it, nanometers thin. You can't, like it's you like, you so can
1: a millionth of an inch.
0: You can't, you can't like compare the two, you know? I'm excited to see what you're going to be able to get out of this telescope. Um me. Too. that's that is a significant scientific discovery hopefully the space between is still going on by the time that we get to the end of the decade i mean we're we're almost yeah. halfway through the decade at this point sure. which is weird to talk about um yes. but we're're we're, we're getting up towards the end of the decade here in just a couple of years and so when that gets built man i would i would go to chile just to see it Yeah, that would that would be cool. I think you have to have like oxygen. I'm sure you have to have an absurd clearance. I don't know if they're gonna put it all the way at the top of a mountain. Oh, okay. But they're probably gonna put it in like the desert in Chile.
1: The lack of oxygen wherever it might be. I thought I had heard or saw something about the lack of oxygen wherever they're putting it so that they can have it higher up in the atmosphere so that it, you know, doesn't have as much you so you have less
0: atmospheric issues. Okay. That that actually makes a lot of sense. Well, at any rate the giant Magellan anyways, telescope, <laughs> giant is the is the word here, folks. Eighty <laughs> feet across is a huge lens. Imagine taking a picture with a lens that is eighty feet in diameter. Oh man, crazy! That's awesome. It's super cool. Super cool. Inspiring. I love talking about it. It is inspiring. It's inspiring to see, like, you know, there there's so many questions about like nuclear apocalypse, and and yet we still. Are able to sit around and wonder about the stars and create these giant <laughs> Magellan telescopes. Exactly, pretty cool indeed. Um, so, before we wrap up the episode, we wanted to give you just uh, a quick hit in terms of a solar eclipse. The solar eclipse that is happening, and also just how to say how to stay safe. When I was a freshman, when you were a freshman, when I was a freshman, yeah,
1: when we were freshman,
0: there was a huge solar eclipse, 2017. Do you remember this? Yeah massive solar eclipse and like we couldn't see it here on campus because there was a cloud cover i went to marysville oh you went to marysville to see it
1: north of you know here about an hour away so i was able to see it (laughs) i totally
0: forgot that it was happening until like people started going outside i'm like why are we going outside and then they're like dude it's the it's the eclipse i'm like oh my god i forgot eclipse i forgot so then i ran outside i was over by Hale library on the campus of kansas state and there was a little (laughs) crease in the clouds and you could just kind of see it. It was really cool what we were able to see. Um, but awesome. there are some tips to, to staying safe. All right. This is from space.com. This is uh, an article by Jamie Carter. Mm-hmm. Um, it says eight tips to safely watch the annual solar eclipse on October 14th <laughs> um, because you can damage your eyes if you're not using the appropriate eye protection. So number one, it says use eye protection. Everyone knows that solar eclipse glasses are designed specifically to safely look at partial eclipses, but there's something about this event that makes the advice even more important. Quote, you must not look at the sun without protection because it is dangerously bright, said Rick Feinberg, project manager of the AAS Solar Eclipse Task Force at the American Astronomical Society, which has a useful supplier of safe solar filters and viewers, page for purchasing products that comply with the iso 12312-2 international standard (laughs) quote there will be no time this october when anybody can look directly at the sun without eye protection feinberg continued that's different from a total solar eclipse coming up on april 8th of 2024 in north america when the brief totality is safe to look at with the naked eye that absolutely does not apply on october 14th so you can't You can't look at it directly or you might go blind. Um, Two, observe away from busy roads. I mean, that one's like a a duh. Like, don't just like get out in the middle of the road and get hit by a car because you're trying (laughs) to see the thing. Um, Number three, watch the weather clearly. Go somewhere where it is uh, available to you. Uh, I think for the best eclipse viewing, you're going to have to go to like New Mexico if you're in the United States. Mm. It goes right through Mexico. Mm -hmm. Um, So you have to go to the Southwest United States to see this. Exactly, but I'm sure we'll be out taking a look at it. I'll probably bust out my camera and see if I can get some astrophotography so it of it, some oh. lunar photography, or would that be solar photography? I don't know. I don't really solar. care. Both at the same time. <laughs> um, protect your skin. Uh, that's that's not one that people usually think of in terms of an eclipse, but wear your uh, your sunscreen. Uh, five. Plan ahead and drive carefully. Six. Keep hydrated. Seven. Be prepared for backcountry travel. So all the people that are coming back from the eclipse, be aware of running into them. And then number eight, avoid closed parks and monuments. So if there's a park, a national park that's closed, don't go into the national park. That's a felony. If there's a national monument that's closed, don't go to the national monument. It's closed. Hmm. That's a felony. So don't do that. Um, but go somewhere safe where you can um, check out this eclipse. The most important thing definitely though is get the eye protection. Get the Get the appropriate eye protection. Sunglasses, don't cut it. You can't look at it with sunglasses you need more than sunglasses and the damage won't be apparent to you until after the fact because it doesn't mm. look that bad if you look at it it's like oh this doesn't look too bad well you also just fried your corona uh uh or, or whatever the the your, your your pupil you know your yeah. your rods and cones just got absolutely demolished by the sun and you might go blind so that's a very serious concern Be very careful about how you're going about that. And then how fast will October's annual solar eclipse travel? This is another article, again, by our friend Jamie Carter over on space.com. It says on October twenty, uh, October fourteenth, twenty 2023, an annual solar eclipse will occur across the Americas during which part of the moon's shadow will travel faster than 5,500 miles per hour, more than twice as fast as a bolt of lightning. It will also travel as slow as 1,250 miles per hour, about the same as a jet fighter. It all depends on where on the Earth the eclipse is happening. How fast the eclipse travels depends on the geometry. Where on Earth the shadow is traveling as well as the distance to the moon and the moon's orbital speed. Dan McLean, an eclipse calculator and cartographer, whose website eclipse2024.org simulates exactly what observers will see during the annual solar eclipse, told toldspace.com. Um, the fact that the Earth is round only allows for this eclipse to be viewed in areas. So if you're in Argentina, congratulations, the Northern part of Argentina and the central part of Brazil, you're going to be able to see the solar eclipse very, very clearly. Uh, it just depends where in the day you're going to be able to see that for us up in the United States, California, Northern California, parts of Oregon, you're looking pretty good. Uh, the Southwestern Texas, nice, nice, um if you're over in new mexico arizona that's going to be nice and crisp for you you might get some a little bit in nevada and maybe a little bit in utah um but where we are in kansas we're we're kind of off the beaten path so we, we probably won't see as effective of an eclipse as you guys will. And then New Mexico and Central America, New Mexico, I meant Mexico and Central America are definitely going to be the places to see this particular eclipse. So that's kind of intriguing for you, but uh, just be aware of that. We're going to put both of these links with all the other links that we've discussed so far in the sources page on our website, www.spacebetweenpodcast.com. So just go check that out. If you're trying to figure out where this is, there's a really handy little GIF that is in this area of space.com on this particular article about how fast it'll travel. And it shows you the exact location in a little video of where the the eclipse is going to come right across. So if you live in an area that's near there, you'll be able to see it. The so, path of totality. The path of totality. Very cool. <laughs> Very cool indeed.
1: Yeah. And if you have the chance and you're able to play music leading up to it, I've seen past solar eclipses where people have timed dark side of the moon by pink floyd and they start at 42 minutes and 50 seconds before the eclipse hits and so when the eclipse hits on the dark side of the moon album and it, it when the when the lyrics say and the moon moves in front of the sun or whatever it is in the the song the the moon the moon will move in front of the sun.
0: Oh, that's cool. Yeah. That's like that's like timing the Lord of the Rings to say you shall not pass at midnight or whatever it is that you can do yeah. on New Year's. <laughs> um, so it's just cool. just be aware it's of that. That's actually thing. really cool. Um should it's we better. drop a should we drop a a playlist of our favorite space-themed music on Spotify oh. uh, that you can access on our website? And That'd be cool. So some some easy listening for you.
1: Yeah, for the solar eclipse. Yeah. Yeah. And if you're in Manhattan, go to the Flint Hills Discovery Center. Chris Sorensen is going to be hosting a Eclipse viewing. Cool. He did it last year. Or no, when twenty seventeen. And uh, he's doing it again this time for the solar eclipse viewing.
0: So Very excellent. Yeah, Very cool. If you're in the general Kansas area, you can come over to Mm -hmm. the Flint Hills Discovery Center in Manhattan, Kansas. That's pretty neat. Well, Mm -hmm. as we wrap up the show, as we hit our own path of totality for this episode, (laughs) uh, see what I did there? Uh, I just wanted to uh, remind you that we have a brand new website. All of our content that you would ever want to find is all in one space, www.spacebetweenpodcast.com. Super easy to find find. If you want some information on myself and Dawson, you can read it there. If you'd like to hear our podcast, you can find us on Spotify, Apple podcast. If you're listening, it's probably not a big deal, but there you go. Nonetheless, Um, just give us five stars. That'd be super huge. If You give us five stars on Spotify on Apple podcast. That would be freaking cool. A reminder, we are trying to name you the audience so that we, we can say, Hey, um, say so we named the audience Bill. We can say, hey, Bill today decided that they wanted to hear us talk about blank. You have mm. that power. It Mm -hmm. is in the interaction part of this particular episode on Spotify. Um, You just scroll down and there it it There'll be like a little Q&A. You can answer that. You can type in what you want us to be called. And then we will have a little selection party um, that we will probably use as Patreon content. By the way, if you want to check out our Patreon, you can on our website, very easy for you to find. And then if you are just a huge fan of the podcast and you want to do some sponsoring, if you're a separate podcast that likes listening to us, we are interested in working with you. If you want to get some of your promos on our show, then we can get some of our promos on your show. There's a bunch of different stuff that we can do. If you're a business that wants to tailor your uh, business experience towards people that are in love with astronomy like we are, then reach out to us. outlook.com is our email. It's also on our website totally appreciate everybody so much for tuning in. My name is Colby Van Camp, here with Dawson Wagner, and you've been listening to The Space Between.